Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to another... Rahalastopper Book Club. This week I am joined by a friend of the podcast, been on Rahalastopper a couple of times, uh, Dan Schreiber, uh, who has written a fabulously entertaining book called The Theory of Everything Else, A Voyage into the World of the Weird. I'll hold it up even though most of you are only listening to the audio podcast. Hello, Dan. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me, man. It's really a delight to have you, and I really enjoyed this book. It's right in my wheelhouse. People will know you from uh, No Such Thing as a fish so you have been involved in writing books before but is this your first completely solo project or have I missed one no that's right yeah first solo so the hardest one of all really because it involved having a voice which was (laughs) so hard to find but you know you get there eventually but you think oh I'm gonna have this nailed I've done a few books with the others before but that's got a real tonal voice to the podcast or the QI books have their own yeah tonal voice and so yeah that that was probably the best bit trying to crack that yeah, I think you did. Uh, and it's sort of, I mean, it is a, another book that's packed full of facts, but it does feel a little bit more, it's not exactly a narrative to it, but there is a structure, a bit more of a structure to it than it being a list of facts and and weird occurrences. It's it's sort of, it's an argument, I guess, about, well, you, you, you describe what you think the book's about, Dan, and I'll tell you <laughs> if you're right. I'll tell you if you're right. Okay, well, here's my, <laughs> here's my first go. I think what it is, is a book about the fact that Everyone around the world, no matter how rational they may seem, if you look really look into them, they usually carry just a tiny little bit of batshit in them, just a little something that is slightly outside of the norm. And I became quite obsessed with trying to track down people's batshit because I thought I want to see if it influenced the way that they thought and if it made them think differently, which then led them to whatever big discovery that they were responsible for. That was the sort of genesis of the idea. And I was always just really interested in theories that are 
that are effectively consigned to a theory graveyard that used to be believed by millions around the world. And if you walked around that graveyard, you'd see a tombstone saying, oh, look, here's the here's the tombstone that that uh, once represented the theory that Victorian women were more likely to be criminals if they had a hairy anus. That's amazing. <laughs> that, that lasted for like 10 years. Oh, and look at this tombstone. And, and that was the, yeah, that's my great love is sort of ideas, people's weird beliefs. And it's not a woo-woo book in that it's not pushing that any of this is true. It's just saying, isn't it interesting that you can be the top of your field and actually you've gotten there via some weird method that no one else acknowledges as truth. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's true. You sort of do talk early on about your friends and uh, your wife and uh, and and weird things that have happened or weird things that they believe. And, you know, I, I see myself as a, a fairly rational person, but I have always been obsessed with most of the sort of the issues within this book. You know, like for me, it's right. been very much like figures like Rasputin and Nostradamus and Jesus. I don't think Rasputin gets a mention in this book, but the other two, any sort of bearded semi religious figure I, I i i've been very interested in um and there's quite a few things you touch on you go yeah i sort of i sort of think you know i sort of think the world might be a uh a simulation i think that's possible yeah yeah exactly that's not a crazy thought i mean that's no. that's a there's one thing that uh neil degrasse tyson the american uh, scientist said which is the issue would try because there are people who are trying to get us out of the simulation or at least look for clues and glitches that the yeah. that the universe is a matrix but he was saying the problem is is that the glitches within it would be part of the simulation therefore it's not represent you can't you can't get a glitch outside of it um which I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it certainly did when he said it. Well, what uh, was scary for me there is that you glitched, or for me at least slightly, while you were saying the word glitches, you actually glitched. <laughs> so that yeah. makes me think that was a little clue from the, from the great creator. Uh, I love I love the glitch stuff because you. There's one friend I spoke to ages ago, and I I need to check with him again whether or not he truly believes it. But Joel Morris, who I'm sure you know, um, yes. the comedy writer, he was the person who told me about the Berenstain Bears, which is the 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 cartoon books that you, I used to read as a kid about the bear family. I think they were Mormons, and they would <laughs> uh, go off on weird, fun adventures. And the big, do you know the the big glitch conspiracy with the Berenstains? No. Everyone who read it as a kid, or a lot of people who read it, believe that it was called Berenstein Bears, not Berenstain right. Bears. And now they look at the cover and they go, hang on a second, that was Steen, not Stain. What the <laughs> what is going on? And so they've all found each other online and, and it's the Mandela effect, right? Yeah. Where they're saying, yeah. you know, this is this so I, I was gonna try and include stuff in the book as glitches that give us a clue that the universe is in fact a simulation. <laughs> yeah. That's obviously one. And I found that the woman who coined the term Mandela effect just refuses to speak about the subject now. That was even more intriguing because there's no right. reason for her not to talk about it. Her website is just a big, big disclaimer going, Hey, if you're here to talk about this, I am not interested. Um, no thank you. And I don't know why. I don't know what happened to her. <laughs> They got to her. They got to her and made her stop stop revealing the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, it's sort of interesting. The, the book reveals a little bit about you, that you went to a school. You went to quite a sort of hippy-dippy school that was founded by people who believed in Atlantis, though you didn't know that at the time. Have I got that right? Have I remembered yeah, that? Yeah, right? Rudolf, yeah. Rudolf Steiner. Yeah, so the Steiner system, which is, it's over here. It started in Austria as a, you know, he was a philosopher and he was a, a doctor, like, a you know, in air quotes. And he was also an Atlantean, according to his belief in where humans arrived from and how we, how we sort of grew from civilization to civilization. And I didn't know this at the time when I went to this Rudolf Steiner school. I thought it was a hippie school, which is certainly how it was presented and how people talked about it. You know, it was in the in the bush in Australia and you had all the rooms didn't have right angles in them. Everything was quite oddly shaped because he thought right angles weren't creative. And and we had teachers that drove wooden cars and we used to <laughs> we used to there was one time we meditated as a whole school for a friend of the school, a, a former pupil who was undergoing surgery. And supposedly it worked, you know, that our teachers right. told us the doctor said that he, he was he was gone in the surgery and it hadn't worked. And then out of nowhere, they couldn't explain it. He just came back and and our teacher said, and it happened at the exact time we started praying. <laughs> so it was a school that had this kind of weird Harry Potterism about it. You felt it a bit hogwarty when you were there. Yeah. Um, 
But it turns out he's a massive racist who had horrible ideas <laughs> and is an unbelievably questionable character. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was a bit of an upset. So you sort of turned away from, from that to being, you know, obviously with the stuff you do with the, in QI, it's it's very factually based. But I guess, I mean, some of these stories feel familiar, uh, some of them I knew about, but then I kind of thought to myself, I probably heard that on no such thing as a fish at some point. <laughs> uh, so, but, you know, I think there's, you're kind of, get, you're gathering stories and facts all the time through through that podcast, right? So was, was that a big help for this or did you have to do a lot of extra research? Initially, when I pitched the book, yeah, I used a fair chunk from the from the podcast. But then when it came to the book itself, I decided I wanted as much as I could to do something that was original and not using old material. So a few a few things definitely slip in that we've sort of in passing mentioned. But on the majority, I I think most of it is new stuff, which which hasn't got in there. And and the facts I tried to link, I guess, from my years of trying to put stand-up shows together for Edinburgh where you you try and create a narrative and you loop in a plot twist at the end and you try and bring it all back and call back all the way. I I, I had so much fun with each chapter trying to do that and trying to have a little sting at the end to sort of just rock your world for a second. Yeah, I mean, there are some amazing... I did when I... when I Last week when I emailed you asking you to be on it, the, uh, I just got to the bit about... Uh... Uh, that well, the chapter involving the Beatles, and uh, there's actually there's some um, the, the next book that's on the book club next week, which is John Higgs's Love and Let Die. There's a couple of crossover points that he talks about uh, Ringo's grandmother uh, be influencing his drumming style. Also, yeah, uh, which I don't think you mentioned, but because uh, I've read two books about it, I may be wrong. Uh, she gave him one of the rings that uh, led to him being called Ringo as well. So Ringo's grandma has a lot to answer for 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 the Beatles. Yeah. I didn't but, know that about the ring. Yeah, yeah. I messaged because I I was writing the book as right. I guess John was writing the book, and I got a copy of his book after after my book was submitted and all that stuff. And I wrote to him saying, "John, I promise you, I haven't <laughs> stolen. I didn't just pick up your book because that was one of the things I mentioned a few years back on Fish. It was a headline yeah. fact that Ringo um, had an exorcist granny." Um, yes, <laughs> yeah, and it's an amazing fact. It's it it's just wonderful. Well, the Beatles things is, is spooky because obviously uh, McCartney's a little bit into that anyway. But the thing that I couldn't believe was true, and that you then sent me a link to supposedly prove it's true, is the stuff about, about the uh, the backwards message on "Free as a Bird," which seems absolutely impossible. Do you want to do you want to take us through what what that is? Yeah, this is this is impossible. So the fact that it's happened and it is real, it's this is genuinely real. Free as a Bird was the reunion song that the Beatles did in the 90s. And they used a demo that John Lennon had made in his house for solo work as the basis for it. And then the three of them got in and re-recorded extra stuff over. Ringo put new drums on. They wrote new um, middle eights and choruses and so on. But you still had John as the main lead. So... They, Paul seems to have this thing where he's always talking about John's presence being quite there for him in his life in various situations. He he sees his ghost from time to time, and so does so did George Harrison, and so does Ringo Starr. They all claim to have seen his ghost at various different points right. in their life. So these guys are generally quite spiritual, and 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 the whole outer ring of the beatles like the the people that have been brought into their orbit also do that so pete shotton who was originally the washboard guy on the beatles um when they were the quarry men you know yeah. that that was an instrument back in the day you'd play a washboard <laughs> when he was in retirement he was living on an island somewhere and a medium from america came over and got him in contact back with john and him and john wrote original songs together so somewhere there are original compositions from the ghost of John Lennon with his best friend, Pete Shotton, which we've, we've never heard. And, <laughs> and um, Julian Lennon also claims that he's had experiences with the ghost of John Lennon as well. Everyone seems to have this thing. Um, and so Paul was always saying that. And when Free as a Bird was being recorded, he said to the other guys, let's pretend as if John has laid down the basic track and then he's pissed off for a holiday and we're just here to finish it. So it doesn't feel like he's, he's dead. And, then as they start recording it, he starts thinking, God, actually, maybe John actually is here. He's sensing little weird things. And there's a few bizarre things he says, like the three of them have a photo outside and a peacock walks into shot. And he's like, it's John. <laughs> and he's he's really stretching for reasons. But he keeps saying, I think he's here. So the remarkable thing is that at the end of the song, if you listen to Free as a Bird, 
right at the end, they decide to do a tricky, cheeky thing to sort of give the fans something to look into, which is the idea of backmasking, which is that classic thing of bands taking a sample of something they've said, flipping it backwards. So it comes out as gibberish when you hear the record going forward. But if you put the vinyl backwards and play it backwards, it comes out with a regular sentence. So they actively... And they were accused of doing that many times on their yeah. albums. And, and that led to a lot of satanic beliefs and practices that the Beatles were dangerous. So they, they decide to do this for Free as a Bird. At the end of Free as a Bird, there's a ukulele being played, which is one of George Harrison's favorite things. And they said to someone, go find us a little sample of John talking from these demos. In the, in the demos, John says, turned out nice again, which... They really liked as a phrase because that was the catchphrase of George Formby, who was a famous ukulele player. So it seemed really nice. So they flip it backwards and they put it on free as a bird. And that's a nice little thing. So this is the fucking impossible thing <laughs> that happens at this moment. When they were mastering the album, they're listening to this song and someone says, can you hear... Did you just hear what John just said with the words when they're in their backward form? They should sound like that. But instead, you clearly hear him say the words, John Lennon. <laughs> and if you listen harder and you've got to really work hard for it, it says, made by John Lennon. And then if you work really, really hard, like our <laughs> friend Jason Hazley, who's a comedy writer, did, he tried to isolate it. He could make out it's a hit made by John Lennon. Right. Now, regardless of, regardless of all the words that come before it, he definitely says John Lennon. Yeah. The backwards wording of John Lennon, what should be that, comes out as John Lennon. That is impossible. I, don't even, <laughs> I, I asked a few mathematicians, can you even try and work out what the chances are that someone who's had a phrase, a random phrase flip backwards, would end up saying their own name? in the yeah. backwards no one could do it for me because it's it shouldn't happen but it did <laughs> and and paul thought that's it he's here john yeah. is here yeah and i mean that's it's proof that's proof <laughs> yeah i mean it is there i mean obviously uh, it, you know there are things uh, crazy things will happen every if there was no coincidences that would be sort of more weird than there, there being some coincidences but absolutely i think that's the, the most amazing one ever heard and you do listen to it and it's clearly in the song um, I mean, obviously, you're li listening out for it a little bit and your mind, you can argue your mind kind of wraps itself around it a little bit to make it sound like that. But, you know, totally. just all the, er the the steps that lead to that are so random that they go, oh, let's do a bit backwards. Oh, let's take that. Oh, le oh let's play that. And then it turning out to be, to be that is is so freaky. So I have to it's rethink impossible. everything. Yeah. I have to rethink everything I think about ghosts. Although... <laughs> There's um there's some good stuff you know I, I in my podcast I ask people about ghosts it's usually a way to find out if they're you know crazy or not really to be honest I ask people if they've seen a ghost and if they have that that generally indicates they're insane though I've I've seen some as well so uh, now I, I have to I have to worry about myself as well uh, but one of the ghost things I hadn't um, heard before and hadn't even thought about is it Jennifer Love Hewitt who's is it was that the actress who's working who has yeah. a ghost of her stalker who is in her flat watching her have showers and stuff. Is that, that, that yeah, got that? <laughs> yeah which, that's right. Which brings a whole new, you know, the, the, the book argues, um, or someone within the book rather argues that uh, you have a choice when you go to your, your funeral, whether you go into the light or not, and, and ghosts don't go into the light and there's various ways you can get back in again. But now we know you can you can. I didn't. You could travel around, Dan. I thought you were stuck where you died. But if you're <laughs> able to go, oh, I'm in real life. I've been a stalker of Jennifer Love Hewitt, and now I'm <laughs> going to go and live in her flat. That's that. I mean, I think a lot of people won't be going over to the other side. So I'm, not, I'm not approving of their behaviour in any way. I don't know that either. I thought you were tethered to a location. I didn't <laughs> yes. realise you could just wander about and and visit your favourite celebs. Um, yeah, that's. <laughs> So Jennifer Love Hewitt from I Know What You Did Last Summer, she, she years, years later, starred in this ghost hunting series, which is a fictionalized account of a quite famous ghost hunter in America. She writes a lot of books. And when she was studying for the part, she invited this ghost hunter to her house and the ghost hunter arrived and she says, whoa, I can, I can sense two ghosts here. And it's a Hollywood house. So one of the ghosts is like the son of Lon Chaney, um, <laughs> a, a, like an actor from Bonanza, I think. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so, oh no, it's his, it's his, it's Lon Chaney's son's wife 
who yeah. is dead and is a ghost. That's right. And the other is this stalker. And she doesn't know that he's necessarily a stalker at the time. Um, I should say, I, I don't personally believe in ghosts. So the enthusiasm okay. I'm giving this story um, is just, <laughs> I, I enjoy the, the story. Um, the yeah she um she's you say that this white light appears at funerals that you can walk through this ghost hunter claims that she can kind of manifest these white lights and send people through even kind of against their own will which is what she did to the stalker uh ghost she sort of said i'll get out of here you pervert and shoved him (laughs) through the the white light um and then the story goes that jennifer love hewitt was sort of describing the person that was being mentioned by the ghost hunter to her friends and they all said yeah do you remember there's a, there was that guy who was at the college who was really into you and when he died they found a wall full of your photos on his wall so she sort of had a connection with that yeah. but um yeah but she's that that ghost hunter lady is amazing purely for that one book that i mentioned about <laughs> yeah. delicious recipes from the beyond which is <laughs> she's written a book of something like a hundred recipes where she went round as she was exercising ghosts from houses, she would notice that the ghosts would often have a great recipe they wanted to pass on before they went away, <laughs> and she would take it down. And so it's recipes from dead people who were being kicked out of houses. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing book. It's a good idea. Well, there's a lot. You know, I'm sort of fascinated by that idea of where ideas come from, and yeah, you know, I mean, this is discussed quite a bit. That there's obviously some people collaborating with dead people uh, in some some instances, but it does feel sometimes when you're creating something that it's sort of been transmitted into you. You know, that it's coming from somewhere else because obviously it's coming from a a different part of your brain or a subconscious part of your brain, but it sort of feels like it's transmitted. In. But there's a lot of people. Well, as you say, the Beatles guy writing songs with John and people writing, a lady who wrote music with uh, List, was it? And all sorts of different people. Yeah, and, uh, Shakespeare, Shakespeare plays. Uh, and so, you know, but is, is that, you know, do you think that's possibly this? There's, and ideas come from the future, which has happened to me quite a lot. You know, I think like you write something and then it happens. It's, it's constantly happening to Armando Iannucci when he writes uh, <laughs> his stuff, the thick of it, and Avenue 5, the, the plots yeah. are sort of to turn out to come true. I mean, obviously there's something in the air and you're writing about a subject. As you t- you discuss people predicting the Titanic disaster, you know, in stories. Uh, so it feels like they've, they've had access to the future. But is it, do you think it's possible that ideas are being that we're sort of receivers and these ideas are being somehow transmitted through time or through space or. I mean, it's a, through... it's a great idea. It's yeah. an ama- that's what, that's what I like about it. It's, it, yeah. that's almost going to be an impossible thing to work out. But when you start gathering the evidence, it's sort of done in a, uh, Fortean kind of way. There's this magazine I love called the Fortean times. And it was started by a guy called Charles Fort. And his main objective was to look at all the weird phenomena that was going on, not pass. I don't think any judgment on belief or not, but just say, just in case one day we do think actually maybe fish are being created in clouds and falling out of the sky. I've got all the cases from all the reports of all the newspapers around the world to show where it's happened. It was sort of just, let's just cry to create a filing cabinet of all and give them each their own folder and just log all these things for future um for future efforts to try and crack it if someone does and so i think that's one of them are we are we getting ideas somehow from the future i think yeah why not i mean it's 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 fun it's fun collecting all the evidence but as you say great coincidences are are quite more often there than not if you look around for them and yeah you know i i bet there must be a book about a character called richard herring who became a performer (laughs) um that was written back in the late 1800s who and then there'll be some weird details in there that will be absolutely matching you know for you know he, he he did um shows in britain and he had a partner who he uh doesn't really speak to anymore but is, <laughs> is, is still desperately in love with and wants his approval and and um you know stuff like that you know it's it will there will be something that kind of is out there i bet i bet you there is a richard herring book out there right okay we'll look out for it i'm sure someone have pointed out but yeah no it is tr- that is that is true that those those things uh that they do come. I've got the I've got the power to I can very predict very minor accidents in advance. <laughs> I often look at a glass and think, oh, that could easily break, and then a few minutes later, I knock it over and break it. And I have, <laughs> not on purpose, or I had a very strong feeling that I, one of my car tires was there was something wrong with it, and then my, then my car tire exploded on that journey. Though I think yeah. 
I think I think that on most car journeys, and you obviously don't. <laughs> when it doesn't happen, it doesn't doesn't bother you. But often, the other day, I'd left a coffee on the side of the bath and thought, and it was in a glass cup. And I thought, that's a really stupid thing to do. That could so easily get knocked over that I was drying myself afterwards, and the towel knocked the thing over and did exactly what I predicted. So that <laughs> you should put that in your next book because that is that's definitely going in. That's yeah. as spooky <laughs> as the John Lennon thing. That's a, I, absolutely I had a thing. What's interesting is I, this has been quite nice from the response to the book because I was I was quite worried about this book going out because I I don't want to push any kind of wooism and what I wanted to do was strike a balance of I just find this stuff fascinating and I think I get goosebumps and I think about the universe very differently when when I hear one of these stories even if it's just for a second I sort of think of it like a magic eye you know you you work hard, you get the magic eye, this weird universe comes up, but then when you blink, it's gone. But I loved being in that magic eye just for one second. Um, sure. And so you have these experiences which you you write off as impossible. In the book, I call them as soft rocks, yeah. where they, they, they're, they're events that sit outside of your belief system, but that were absolutely true to you. Like you saying, you don't believe in ghosts, but you believe in your ghost. You saw a ghost. <laughs> I believe in my ghost. And my my wife and I, I didn't put this in the book, but we had an instance of many, like four years ago when my youngest, sorry, my oldest boy, Wilf, was one. And I, she had gone to hospital to visit a friend and it was her friend's child that was in hospital. So she was going to give the child, the parents, a bit of time to just go off and do some stuff. And she'd look for the look after the kid for a couple of hours. So I was at home with our young boy, Wilf, and he had huge wheezing problems. And I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just secretly take him to A and E. I'm not gonna tell my wife. I'll just I'll just go off and do this. So I was off taking him to A and E. And this is at the point where I don't know if you remember with the young kids, uh, if you had the same thing either, where their feeding is clockwork. It's like on the hour. If right. they need milk, and we bottle fed Wilf, um, he would need it. It's like one one p.m. he needs his milk. So I was walking down the road in uh, the high street from where we live, and as I was looking down at my watch, I saw it was one, and I thought, "Oh shit, shit, shit!" Okay, I'm not at the hospital yet, but I don't have the milk ready. I don't, I'm, I'm going to have to just hope he doesn't wake up. So I'm pushing him, and two minutes later, he wakes up and he starts screaming like crazy. And I think, "Oh no!" And then, just as that's happening, a car comes up right beside us and smashes into the back of another car, literally next to us on the curb. It was a real slam. And I thought, shit, if anything had any, if there was any flexibility there about, you know, its angle, that could have piled into us or yeah. it just really scared me. And I thought, oh, God. So I wasn't going to tell my wife. And then I was back home and I was calling her while she was on her way back home. And I said, how was it? And she said, yeah, it was great. I said, you get there on time? She said, um, almost on time. I was just a couple minutes late because she's famously quite late for things. And then she said, God, the weirdest thing when I was in the elevator on the way up, it's just the oddest thing. This woman in the elevator just suddenly turned to me and she said, your baby's okay. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not visiting my baby here. I'm, I'm just uh, visiting someone else. And she said, no, no, I know, but your baby is okay. Wow. And then she got out of the lift. <laughs> and, and I said to Fidella, sorry, what time did that happen? She said, well, it would have been like, you know, just a couple of minutes after one, which is because I was two minutes late. So we freaked out. In that moment, <laughs> the universe changed for us. And yeah. neither of us believed that that was true or what happened. But what a fucking great coincidence and what a <laughs> what a goose bumper like that's that's yeah. the shit i don't need drugs just give me that every day yeah well you know the the way there must be a lot of things we don't know about you know we you can be as rational as you want and uh there could still you know there could there, there could still be people controlling everyone there could still be you know people who have knowledge i don't think a time traveler would come back to Tell your wife that, and that that would seem like a waste of time travel. To come back. <laughs> say, well, that, by the way, by the way, your baby's okay, even though you don't know that that we're in any danger. I want you to know that they're okay. Um, well, she doesn't need to be a time traveler. She's just purely accessing some kind yeah, of emotion so. connected to Fenella. Yeah, she got like a yeah. You know, which is we don't know, do we? If the universe is infinite, if it's if it is a simulation, who knows? I mean, you know, I, again, I, I but I I feel I don't think this resonated this book because of that because we all have this stuff. And we all kind of hide it away a little bit, I think, usually. And it's nice to know that who, you know, that a Nobel Prize physicist can be insane or yeah. can believe crazy stuff. You know, like I, because uh, I, I think it was so much a part of my childhood, A, being brought up as a Christian and then rebelling against that. But then I was so fascinated, especially by 
you know, with Nostradamus and Rasputin, who both, you know, Rasputin I became obsessed with in, in, in life. But with Nostradamus, I'd read that book. There was a book that came out in probably the late 70s, early 80s with his predictions, with the, with sort of all uh, light coming out of his eyes and stuff. And it, it included the 1999, the Great Lord of Terrors in, you know, July 1999 or whatever it says is going to come down. And, mm. uh, and I kind of became convinced, you know, I was going to be 32 years old when I die. And I thought I'd write a play about it, but I, but wow. a, 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 about the, the, uh, so I wrote a play called, uh, about, about, what was it called? I can't believe what it's called. I can't remember what it's called now. Oh, it's not, oh, it's not the end of the world. It was called, but, um, in which, uh, a bloke who believed this took all his, his brother and his girlfriend to a, an island in Fiji, <laughs> to Fiji, hoping that uh, he would avoid whatever was happening. But in order to write that play, I also arranged to go to Fiji for a month so that if it came true. So, like, you know, it actually, that that kind of long belief and fear that something was going to happen that was going to come true actually made me, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but also for real, go go away from where I perceived might be the seat of a nuclear war or whatever. In that the is of, incredible. Yeah. I didn't so, think you. I thought you were going to be someone who didn't have um, a little bit of batshit in you. And no, I've got. That, I've got that a is it. That's, do you? That's so. What are your beliefs? Do you believe? Do you believe in afterlife and ghosts and so on? I don't. I don't. But I'm fascinated. Uh-huh. No, I kind of. I so I think what the, and what this book is good for. Because again, it's not good for people who want to believe this stuff. Because it. Not that you. Poo, not that you poo poo or prove any of it's wrong, but just it's not going. Oh wow! It's quite a, a quite a. You know, I I think I really you know what what's appealing about all these ideas and conspiracy theories is that you know you it'd be amazing if there'd be amazing if there, if something happened after we died. You know, I don't think uh, anything. I think I think we're dead, and that makes more sense and is actually more palatable to me uh, that you are dead and that you don't live forever without your body in some other state. But of course, it's possible. And you you know you talk of that. There's a great chapter. There's a great story about Sam Kinison, who's a comedian I yeah. loved, and. Um, who sort of seemed to see someone over his brother's shoulders as he was dying, who made him feel happy, which again, you know, there's lots of explanations as to what that, that could yeah. be. But, the, but I th- you know, I think those things were fascinating. And I think our gen- my generation, we were brought up on those kind of mysteries, Arthur C. Clarke and books about ghosts. And, you know, yeah. so we, we, you kind of, as much as, and, you know, and the story of Jesus, which is still a supernatural story. So you're brought yeah. up on all this stuff and you sort of turn against it. But even as an adult, even when I did when I did Christ on the bike as a thirty three year old who was now definitely an atheist, there was still a part of me that felt, um, you know, I, I, should I be taking the Mickey out of Jesus because this is what I was brought up to believe? So it's very hard to it's very hard to to shift that stuff, and it's very you know, there's something very, you know, I, I think like with 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 Rasputin, I was to begin with fascinated fascinated by that story about his impossible death. Uh, mm. And as an adult, I realised it was probably almost certainly an invented story. But I found that quite interesting as well, and the way that it was accepted and believed. And you know, so I've that's one of the things that I've sort of really dug down into and come up with theories about about what happened in that. As a result of being initially fascinated by the idea that a man could be unkillable, so you're, the, these ideas are attractive, and that's what makes them, and you know, and I know better stories than breaking a coffee cup on your bath so, <laughs> so, i think yeah i kind of agree with you the um the books that you would have seen and read as a as a kid of the subjects of ghosts and ufos and stuff there was something very unsinister about them back in the day and yeah conspiracy theory particularly has turned in quite a to a dangerous place now where it's yeah. it's affecting politics and it's affecting life generally and that was my biggest mission with the book was i wanted to write a book that we would have read back in the 80s where we sort of just said forget all the the dangerous stuff because actually (laughs) you are allowed to like this stuff without needing to be a right-wing maga obsessive um who thinks the world's gonna end you can just go hey isn't it crazy that prince philip used to collect ufo magazines and set up an (laughs) x-files unit and is in buckingham palace like that's just fun to know that that was happening um and that yeah that was the whole goal of it i do i do find it a bit disappointing when you find out that people don't engage in the subject because they think it's harming minds um yeah. like i i was didn't put it into the book but carl sagan who's one of my heroes uh one of the, the best popular scientists definitely ever but also just one of the greatest ideas people ever and and his ideas that are 
are still playing out in the future from things he set up in his lifetime are, are remarkable. And one thing that really kind of not disappointed me, but I, I got a sort of bit disheartened was that he didn't like the X-Files. And, <laughs> and I think the X-Files is the greatest series ever. And he, he actively had an issue with it because he thought there was no rationalism in the X-Files. It would always end with Scully sort of having a point proved, but then a lot of little post moment, the like the, <laughs> the dude would slip out or like, you know, something paranormal would happen to let yeah. you, the viewer know that, Oh, look at these rational people. And, and he had a, he had a huge issue with that. Whereas I just thought, Oh fuck, cool. So maybe there is a skinny handed <laughs> person kind of traveling places. Um, I, yeah, it, it, it this this what's been really nice is a lot of my friends who are rationalists and and skeptics particularly have written to me saying um i really enjoyed it and i really enjoyed the line that you that you towed between skepticism yeah. and and wooism because as you say i'm not i never ever have any intention of attacking anyone with these beliefs i think i'm part of that idea that of reality tunnels which robert anton wilson set up this idea that whatever makes your universe work buddy whatever whatever you need to survive and get through this thing if that means that you believe ufos are coming okay fine and there's millions like you out there who believe the same thing you have a shared reality um that's yeah that's that's fine with me except when it hurts people yeah but i think the difference is it's sort of remaining open-minded it's good to be open-minded to the possibility that you could be wrong, right? So, so that it's possible, you know, maybe ghosts will turn out to you. Maybe there will be an afterlife. Maybe there is, you know, maybe something more, you know, or certainly something more than we know is going on, right? We don't, um, we can't possibly understand the entire workings of the universe. We don't know if there are multiple universes or if it's the only US. There's lots of things we don't, we don't know. The minute your open mind just becomes a kind of closed system of going, no, Paul McCartney is definitely a definitely died in 1966 or much more unpleasant things than that the, the sort of wrong things that people think it's no longer it's no longer being open-minded and i think what's interesting about this book as well talking about the physicists and nobel prize winners and stuff that often that kind of mind that is open to you know woo-wooism and and crazy ideas often they'll be terrible ideas but sometimes that mind will create something that it, the the guy who created the uh PCR tests is is the example that you think of, of will create who's almost had that dismissed because he'd come up with so much batshit stuff yeah that uh, that you you will come up with something you know that if you're if you've got that mind that's open to that clearly I think there's something there that that you're thinking in a in a in a different way and out you're sort of thinking outside the box aren't you yeah and and it's just it's just quite nice to know that all these clever people that we hold up as sort of infallible <laughs> geniuses do have weird ass shit going on and the the nobilitis that disease that i read about in the book which is a disease in quotation marks um is the idea that once you've won the nobel prize you suddenly have so much respect and people wanting to hear what you think that a lot of like crazy beliefs start emerging or the things that you've been hiding away you feel you can get that out there now it's it's a really high rate of people who <laughs> who suddenly go nuts once they've won that award or it's certainly higher than it should be and yeah. um but at the same time as you say with the with Carrie Mullis who created uh, the PCR not just PCR testing, he created PCR, which has been used literally for everything from archaeology through to forensics yeah. to police work. It, it is the game-changing thing. And I had never heard of it up until the pandemic. And not many people had either that I know of, unless they were a doctor or worked in some kind of academia that it uh, that needed it. This guy changed the world. And he's not a household name. And he is not a household name because he was absolutely batshit. He was... <laughs> He, in the cover of the book, there's a there's a UFO with a tractor beam coming down and a raccoon being taken up, and that's a reference to his story because he claims, and this was the same year that he eventually cracked the workings of PCR, 1985. He said that a a talking, glowing raccoon, speaking English at him, abducted him and took him away in a spaceship and then returned him. That this is the same year he invented PCR and changed the world. <laughs> So I the, you, I end the book by saying you can't have the theory without the theory of everything else, and that's the main point, really. It's sort of the yin and the yin and yang to our lives. You got your normal stuff, but that little bit of batshit is also important, and we should yeah. cultivate it. But you know, equally, the idea of PCR, which I didn't really understand how it worked, and I can't quite remember exactly what you said, but it, it's 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 man it's reproducing bits of DNA until there is much enough DNA to 
Is that what is that right? To, until there's it's it, that that sounds like a, until there's enough to make something of. That sounds like a fantastic. You know, if if fifty years ago you'd said, yeah, someone's going to have a machine that you and you'll be able to do this in your home and it'll it'll mass produce your DNA. You just go, that's bullshit. That's nonsense. So like you know, and you think about all the 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 actual scientific changes in the world and the understanding of science. It's all sort of you know, it would be woo woo thinking until it becomes an actual factual thing. So it's, it's, yeah. there's a, there's a blurred line between all of this stuff, which is really uh, shown very well, I think, uh, in, in, especially in, in those particular stories. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I mean, there's so much stuff. That, that, what I love about this book is there's so much stuff that you... You know that that free as a bird thing's going to stay with me for the rest of my life. I'm not going to forget that. Oh, great. There's lots of there's lots of you know, but there's, I love a book that even it, get, you get one of those things. But there's yeah. several. There's lots of things in this book that you'll you'll latch on to and remember. I think I knew the thing about Boris Becker's tongue already. Maybe I'd heard that. Did on you? But yeah, I'd heard that story before. But that's but you see that isn't that's a sort of scientific thinking that yeah. really really fascinating tell, just tell us quickly about that and, uh... well that yeah so this was a thing that i really wanted to do with the book was um, too much nonsense and too much kind of people's weird belief is just too it's too much you can't take it it's like someone telling you about their acid trip you're like oh, it's boring after two seconds like you, you saw a rainbow fish whatever like come on <laughs> um so I wanted to make sure that within each chapter, there was practical, interesting stuff that was definitely true and happened. And I wrote a chapter all about how um, a lot of sports stars have odd beliefs, have very weird beliefs, and that has helped them get to the top. Novak Djokovic being the main example. He goes yeah. every year to this hill in Bosnia, and he and he meditates on it, collecting cosmic energy from what is the oldest pyramid in the world. It's 12,000 years old. It's hidden under a grassy landscape. And the, the reality of it is, no, it's just a hill. They're, they're, <laughs> they are hills that look quite pyramid-y <laughs> that exist out there, which is fascinating in its own right, but it's not, it's not made by a lost civilization. But he believes that, and he goes there, and that really is part of his training process to get enhanced by it. So within this chapter... Mm-hmm. There was another story which was about Bing Crosby, and I was just sort of showing how people's weird beliefs can actually help uh, in the long run. He was so superstitious about watching his favorite baseball team, which he was a co-owner of, while they were playing, because he thought he was influencing it somehow. And I, I genuinely have that feeling after a yeah. match. I, I go, I wonder if I didn't watch that match live <laughs> on TV. I wonder if I watched it somewhere else. I, I have that as a, that's a proper bit of batshit on my side. Yeah. And Bing Crosby had this so much to the point that when they were playing for the world cup, uh, sorry for the world um, series, series in America, he was, they were in the final match and he went, I can't even be here to see it in the same country. I don't want to even just be present. So he flew off to Paris where he stayed while the match was happening and they won. And it was seen as the greatest game that was ever played. And that was what it was tagged as. And years later, the, um, the footage was tried to be found again. But at this point, you didn't really keep tapes and things were taped over. So the greatest match was lost, except for tiny snippets from newsreels and some photos. So no one had a copy. But 
we found a pristine copy 50 years after the event, and it was in the wine cellar of Bing Crosby because during his suspicious paranoia, he wanted to not be there, but he also did want to see the match. So he had a film crew come over and film it directly off the TV in the highest quality film possible. And so we have it. We have the superstition <laughs> save the, the craziest match. So that's a real yeah. nice practical side of how that worked. And the Boris Becker one, which then follows in the chapter, is about how Andre Agassi, when he started playing Becker, kept losing to him because he had an impenetrable serve. It was just extraordinary, the Becker serve. He could never understand where it was going. You couldn't predict it. And so he just had to kind of admit defeat to it and then get furious about it and go away and study it. So he was at home and he was watching videos and videos of Becker playing it. And he thought, there's got to be something, something that's a giveaway. <laughs> and eventually he spots it. And he goes, oh my God, this can't be real. And he watches more batches <laughs> and it's real. And so he goes and he applies it to his game and it works. And he never tells Becker what it was. Becker, I don't think, ever asked him what it was. But Becker was thinking, how the hell is this guy almost <laughs> getting to it before I've even hit it? How does he know where it's going? <laughs> and years later, they're at a beer festival and they're chatting to each other. And he says, I'll tell you how I did it. I wasn't reading your mind, as you may have suspected. In fact, it was every time you were in the, in the juice court, just before you were serving, you'd pop your tongue out of your mouth. And if you popped it to the side, it meant you were serving to the corner of the box. And if you popped it, if you kept it straight, it was going down the center. And it was simply that. It was him reading his tongue. He wasn't reading his mind. He was reading his tongue. Yeah. And that is what told him where the ball was going. And that's, I, what a great little, that's just good sports trivia. I mean, it's amazing. You know, it's, like, it's incredible no one else noticed it, but it's also incredible that he noticed yeah. it. And yeah. it's incredible that you could do, you know, it's so it's sort of so childish and basic. It's like a little kid <laughs> you know, doing something, sticking his tongue out. But I think also Agassi sort of using it sparingly so that he wouldn't get discovered that he'd worked yes. out what it was, which is also sort of, you know, he's so terrified he's gonna, his secret's going to be discovered that he didn't even do it all the time, even though he would have known sometimes. Yeah, he could have just going, he wouldn't act exactly. It. So it's it's yeah, it's a it's a, things like that are, t are just t terrific fun. But the whole the whole book, as we've discussed, I think the book of, book as a whole, um, it it does uh, it does have a have a through line and uh, does make you think about all of this stuff. We won't reveal. There's some great stuff about pubic lice. We won't talk about that now. Um, <laughs> and where they've gone. Uh, but, and, and why they've gone, but um, I also listened to the, I listened to it in audio book form, uh, which you do. There is a, a bonus uh, chat at the end there where you talk to some uh, some notable people about uh, their own experiences of this as well. So that's was was that was that was that fun to do, and was that a deliberate decision to make the audio book uh, good value? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, it's it was more that it was a publisher's request of this new right. trend of creating bonus content post, a, post a, uh, a book. But also that that was a good excuse to sit around with a few buddies and try and explore what their bit of batshit was. And yeah. so I had Jamie Morton from My Dad Wrote a Porno. I had Ella Al-Shabahi, who's a very old stand-up friend of mine, who was also working as a paleoanthropologist at the time and then her career has taken off massively in that world now she's a tv presenter and she writes books and so on she still does edinburgh still does stand up <laughs> hours and so on um and then i had craig glenday who is the editor-in-chief of the guinness world records who he and i had a few adventures earlier in the year which i i'm saving for a future book i think which is to do with ghosts as well but i I became, along with Anna from my podcast, the co-holder of the Guinness World Record for the longest anyone has played a game of balloon tennis without letting the balloon hit the ground. <laughs> uh, we set that we set that record last year. Um, Congratulations! Thank you very much. Very proud of that. It's um, it's since been broken, so I'm oh. a former Guinness World Record holder. But also, Craig and I went to the British Museum because I set up for the world's oldest ghost ever in history to get a Guinness World Record. And we went and we met the oldest ghost, which is inscribed onto an ancient clay tablet ah. from Babylonian times. And with Irving Finkel, who's the curator there of all the Mesopotamian and Sumerian and so on. And, and he brought it out. And it's the oldest example of a ghost that's ever been drawn that we've ever had. So right. and it's the oldest we'll ever find because there's nothing older than the Babylonian records. And so um, we gave it a Guinness World Record, which was very exciting. <laughs> it's, it's in this year's Guinness World Records book. Excellent. Um, 
Yeah. Um, so he was on, Craig was on and yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, you'd be great on a, on a show like that with your, your flying to Fiji and having yes. to escape your death. I mean, you did what I, what I put in the book of Eddie Murphy with what he did with coming to America, which yes. is coming to America. The whole movie was shifted in its filming <laughs> schedule because a few nights before he was doing some scenes, he watched a movie on Nostradamus that predicted that LA was going to plunge into the ocean on a day that he was meant to be filming. And he changed yeah. the whole schedule. I mean, extraordinary that that, that would have cost millions to do. And, and he did that. And you did the exact same thing. I did the same thing. I was, I was writing a play. So I did still, I obviously believed enough that it wasn't going to happen, that it was still worth writing the play. Although I have to say, I did a lot of it very last minute, so maybe a part of me was thinking, don't worry, we'll ne- this play will never get produced, because the play came out in the August of that year, after, right. after, and the prediction was July that year, so I was sort of work- furious, as I often did with those Edinburgh plays, sort of furiously working in the last <laughs> week or so before Edinburgh, trying to put together a production, which Amazing. we managed to do. It was, uh, it was, it, And we all survived. I was slightly disappointed to to survive and and live on beyond the age of 32 and now i'm <laughs> and i was gonna say i'm double that age i'm not yet double that age richard come on you're not you know i'm not that old um but anyway it's if the audiobook's are great well, you know you obviously you're a professional broadcaster so the uh the audio but you do the audiobook yourself so the audiobook is a, is a great forever, way. it's a great I can't speak, Rich. I don't. I can't <laughs> pronounce words. My accent is so weird that any. It's really odd when you get to a sentence you've written and yeah. you can't read the word or a name, <laughs> and you have to do eighteen takes just of like a single, like sometimes two words that were sitting next to each other have too many R's in them, and my mouth just trips <laughs> up. I like, I flat. I just fall flat on it. Um, I'm conscious when I'm. I'm conscious when I'm writing a book now not to put in words that I don't know how to pronounce. Although, <laughs> although there's always people who are very helpful, helpful doing that. And I, as I, as I endlessly say on this podcast, I think it's a good idea to do the one I'm just listening to now. There's a couple of there's a there's two sentences in a row that basically use the same word right next to each other. And you kind of uh. think you could have sought, you should have done the audio book. I don't know whether people. Because once you read it out loud, you go, "Oh, that's 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 bad writing. I'll I'll change I'll change that." But he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. He didn't change it in this case, and he, I don't know whether he noticed. But that what that's what I like about doing the audiobook as a writer is you get a chance if you do it early enough, you get a chance to re-edit your book so the crappy writing gets taken out. As, as I well know as <laughs> that should be the industry standard, but it's not. It most most books they read after like it's been handed and it's already being published, yeah. and you notice all these mistakes. And you think, "Oh God, that, all that's right, absolutely." my top tip that's what i started doing and it is a, it is you know i probably changed 15 or 20 things in my last book as a result of of having read right. it out loud so so it's uh, you know it's really worth doing because however you know you get to a point don't you however much you're you you know your book and however much you've worked on it that you kind of can't be bothered to read it again yeah. in detail anyway you know so you, you're sort of skimming over it maybe but uh and it's kind of amazing even with all those eyes on it all the people looking at it that every book you ever write there'll be There'll be something in there. You go, how the hell did that? How the hell did that get into the final book? But never mind. Yeah. Um, great. Look, it's lovely to talk to you. Uh, I I ask people at the end of the interviews whether they're reading anything they'd uh, they'd like to recommend, or is there any books you've read recently that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah. Well, um, I I know that you asked this question. I listen to your your book clubs. And I love them, by the way. So thanks oh, for having you. me on. It's so cool to be a part of it. And thanks for reading it as well. Like you're a, you're a big hero, Rich. So the idea that yeah. you've read my book is a it's that means a lot to me. I, I I'm sure people oh, just say that in passing. I genuinely <laughs> I want you to know it really means a lot to me that you read the book. Okay. That's it's really cool. Um. So but I picked out two books, and by bizarre coincidence, the first book because I had no idea who you were having on next week. But but right. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the best nonfiction books I've ever read, um, purely for storytelling, for the connections, for what it made me think, both sort of wanting artistically to match it in its style, but also just literally blowing my mind, was KLF by John Higgs, oh, yes. who is yeah. your, your next week guest. Um, yeah. This book is phenomenal. And there's a few things about it which are amazing. One is is that it's meant to be, and it's the reason I didn't read it to begin with. Is I didn't know who the KLF were, the band, and I thought, well, I don't, I don't listen to their music. Why would I read a whole biography about it? And someone said, no, 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 it's it's bigger than that. Trust me. And that's absolutely what it is. And John even references that I think either in a conversation to me at the pub or somewhere online uh, that <laughs> that the KLF were the the boat to put the story on and sail it towards the island but 
all the little pit stops along the way were the interesting bits that were going to make this book just about the universe and not about KLF. So you always return to their story, but you disappear and you learn about the history, about the counterculture, sorry, counterculture in America or the counterculture in Liverpool. And you get these characters like Robert Anton Wilson, who I mentioned earlier, or or Ken Campbell, the incredible theater comedian, uh, just all round sort of monk guru. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's a book that touches everything from conspiracy through to Doctor Who, through to um, just kind of everything. And it's and it's a counterculture book, but I've, I recommend it to everyone. Anyone okay. who asks me, do you want to read a book? I say, try this one out because I just think it's stunning. And then the other book that I'm reading, which is completely directly in line with this, is a book called 2023, right. which is by the KLF. So it's by okay. Bill, <laughs> Bill Drummond and Jimmy Colty. And... It's all. It's kind of an updated version of a very cult book called Illuminatus, which is Robert Anton Wilson, this counterculture character, and it's all about this because they they disappeared for many years as a as a duo, as KLF, and they did their various separate things. But then they came back a few years ago, a to explain why they burnt a million pounds yeah. on an island all those years ago. Um, which I don't think they fully have explained yet. I think they let other people explain it for them recently and sort of went, I guess it was that, um, but I, we don't have a full answer. But they've got into the funeral business recently. That was their return. They they stopped being a band. And what they did was they have this thing where they're building a huge pyramid now and you can buy bricks from them. And what happens is a bit of your ash of the loved one who's passed away gets put into the brick. And this brick will then become a part of a giant pyramid made of bricks of all these dead people whose ashes have been sprinkled inside per brick. And this book is kind of, it starts with that and then just goes into weird. It's fucking weird, this book. Okay. And, yeah. So, but they meet in Toxteth every year for Toxteth Day of the Dead. And 2023 is the big year because 23 is a big number within the world of the counterculture. And so I'm reading it because I'm going to go to it the Day of the Dead okay. this year. Um, Looks like yeah, I've got so, a, I'm going to head back to Fiji then in 2023, if, by the sounds of it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's. I think this, this is the big one. Bring the it's like Fiji. Fiji isn't part of the world, Dan. That's why I would have been fine in Fiji. Yeah. That, was my, that was my thinking. Um, look, really love to talk to you. That's the whole uh, No Such Thing as a Fish team have now been on the Rahalaspa Book Club uh, in in various forms. So you're the last. You're the last one of the collection. Uh, no, so right. thank you, thank you for coming on, and uh, of course, listen to Dan's fabulous podcast as well as buying his amazing book, "The Theory of Everything Else: A Voyage into the World of the Weird." Uh, it, highly recommended. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, thank you, of course, to Chris Evans, not that one, for uh, producing and directing the show. And thank you also to his son Ben Evans, not that one, uh, for all the work he does in promoting our stuff. Uh, he also came up with the question for Stephen Fry that made Stephen Fry open up uh, in in the interview I did with him when when Ben Evans was like ten years old. Yeah, his his question is what is what's it like being Stephen Fry? He's the one. There's some magic around Ben Evans that will, is there. there in, let me let me meet him. Let me interview him. <laughs> that was a game changing question. <laughs> it was a game changing question, and it's all down to him. My whole career is down to Ben Evans. So thank you, Ben. Uh, we'll see you next week with John Higgs talking about not the KLF, but talking about love and let die, which is another fabulous book. Thank you very much, Dan. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. Gofasterstripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.